Hello to you and welcome to Coin Market Recap. I'm Connor Sefton with your easy to understand look at this week's crypto headlines. Coming up, Bitcoin suffers its worst January since 2018. So, is it all over for the bulls or are prices going to recover soon? We'll have a full news roundup as Wormhole suffers the fourth largest hack in crypto history. Molly Jane Zuckerman will also be here to talk about some of the week's biggest stories. We'll be asking why non-fungible tokens are hated so much, with Kanye West refusing to do NFTs and Team 17 suffering a PR disaster after unveiling plans to launch its own collection. And we'll examine yet another bad week for Meta, with the tech giant suffering the biggest wipeout in stock market history. Plus, India has unveiled plans to tax profits on crypto trades. So, does this mean the country isn't going to ban Bitcoin anymore? We'll ask Nishal Shetty, the founder of India's biggest crypto exchange, Wazir X. Give our show a follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. And you can find me on Twitter as well. I'm at Connor Sefton. Coin Market Recap. And as we're recording this, on Friday the 4th of February, Bitcoin has suddenly shot up, gaining $2,000 in the space of two hours and hitting $39,500. It came as tech stocks staged a recovery after being battered during a brutal trading session on Thursday. Bitcoin and Wall Street remain closely correlated right now, meaning they're both rising and falling in tandem. The world's biggest cryptocurrency fell by 16.8% last month. That's the worst January performance in four years. Morgan Stanley says Bitcoin's dramatic slump from an all-time high of $68,789 in November has been pretty much in line with what's happened before, and the US investment bank believes a return to $45,000 would indicate the bulls are back in control. Its analysts also warned that a fall below $28,000 would be disastrous, not least because these prices haven't been seen since 2020. Fundstrat Global Advisors thinks that Bitcoin has the potential to bottom out in the coming months as well and is beginning to stabilise after a terrible start to the year. MicroStrategy has been buying the dip once again and now owns more than 125,000 Bitcoin. But the cryptocurrency's pullback in recent months has been painful for the company's bottom line. The company suffered an eye-watering impairment loss of $150 million in the fourth quarter of 2021. MicroStrategy's CEO, Michael Saylor, held an event this week that's designed to encourage corporations to consider Bitcoin as an investment. But some businesses may end up thinking twice after learning that MicroStrategy has booked $901 million of impairment losses over the past 18 months. El Salvador has furiously rejected the International Monetary Fund's pleas for the country to abandon Bitcoin as legal tender. In a TV interview, Treasury Minister Alejandro Zelaya said that no international organisation is going to make El Salvador do anything. President Nayib Bekele has been continuing to buy Bitcoin using public funds, and this week he said it's a matter of time until the cryptocurrency experiences a gigantic price increase. An Arctic blast is forcing Bitcoin miners in Texas 
to shut down their operations. It's feared the cold front could overwhelm the state's electricity grid. Texas is hoping to avoid a repeat of the carnage seen this time last year, when deadly storms left more than 10 million people without power. The region has become attractive to crypto businesses because of its low energy prices, and those who temporarily stop mining will even be paid to do so. This week's Crypto Headlines. I'm joined now for a look at the crypto news with Molly Jane Zuckerman. Hello, Molly Jane. Hello, Connor. It's so nice to talk to you today. Oh, very nice to talk to you too. How has your week been? Well, it could have been better. Um, I've been uh, a little under the weather with this, you know, uh, really rare disease called co- coronavirus. <gasps> so. You have COVID. Yes. Been there, done I that, do. got the T-shirt. <laughs> But like, do you actually have a t-shirt that says that? Because I would get one. So people would know not to be afraid of me, you know, on the streets. The, the You know what? There probably are t-shirts that say that. I, when Harry and Meghan got got married for their royal wedding, um, I was working that day in the newsroom where I worked at the time. And to commemorate the occasion, I wore a t-shirt that said, Harry asked me first. That's pretty good. Mm. What's the funniest t-shirt you own? Oh, the funniest t-shirt I own. Oh, I got it in New Orleans. <laughs> and it says, I think it's so funny. It says, I got bourbon faced on street. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, Very nice. Thanks. <laughs> thanks. The funniest thing I own is a, a hoodie that says, I don't speak Icelandic in Icelandic good but that requires you to know icelandic right to kind of get the full joke well the the tag on the on the hoodie helped me inform my purchasing decision i just hope i I just hope i hope it was telling the truth because otherwise it could have just been saying this man is a total idiot and i just would have been (laughs) wandering around happily one of the most embarrassing cultural faux pas i've ever made was when i was talking to someone from iceland yeah. And I said, oh, where's your accent from? And he's like, Iceland. I was like, no, but like, what language is your accent from? He was like, Molly, Icelandic. Like, we have our own language. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea. I guess I was I was uh, 19, to be fair. Well, unfor- that's unfortunate. You are now an enemy of the Icelandic community. Well, there's like five of them, so I think if I'm going <laughs> to... <laughs> I've made an envy of any community, that's fine. Like. <laughs> ah, well, Molly Jane, we talked about Meta and DM last week, and there have been plenty more developments this week. And if you've listened before, you'll know DM was the digital currency that Mark Zuckerberg wanted to launch across Facebook, Instagram, and WhatsApp. The project's been dead in a ditch because of resistance from regulators. Now, first of all, it's been confirmed that Silvergate Bank has bought the DM Association's intellectual property for a reported $200 million. And Silvergate is working on its own stablecoin that's set to launch by the end of this year. Now, Twitter's former CEO, Jack Dorsey, was asked about DM this week during a live stream with Michael Saylor. And here's what he said. I think, you know, hopefully they learned a lot, but I think there was a lot of wasted effort and time when those two years or three years or however long it's been could have been spent um, making uh, 
you know, making Bitcoin more accessible for more people around the world, which would also benefit their messenger product and Instagram and WhatsApp and all these things. Um, we have this open network right now and it's usable. It's not accessible to everyone. It's usable. Um, the, the easier we make it, the faster we make it, the more approachable we make it. It's going to better everything, uh, including everything that, that Facebook intended to do with, with Libra. So, so Molly Jane, do you agree with Jack Dorsey? Has Meta wasted a lot of time and effort on DM? Yeah, I have, I have two questions about DM. The first mm. one is, well, we, we know that the reason, mainly the, like the main reason the DM has taken so long to come to market is the regulatory pushback. Yes. Not necessarily the complexity of the technology that they're building. Mm-hmm. Because I, I mean, I'm not a developer, you're not a developer, but it's pretty easy to make a cryptocurrency. Mm. There, there are tens of thousands of them. There might even be hundreds of thousands of them, just they're not all listed on CoinMarketCap. So I, I'm a little bit confused what costs $200 million. Like the blockchain exists. People know, they know about it. <laughs> you can just mint a token. $200 million though, it's not necessarily what it cost it's the value of the intellectual property that they've got so it's the value of the technology that they've made but it just it seems to me a little bit like they've reinvented the wheel mm. and they're selling it like people don't people just don't normally sell the intellectual property behind the cryptocurrencies or stable coins that they create so that's what i'm confused about but i guess we'll see if silvergate releases something that would make it worth this this price tag yeah, well, Silvergate is hoping to release um, a stablecoin by the end of this year. And analysts this week have said that acquiring DM's intellectual property will help Silvergate do this faster. But back to Jack Dorsey, is he too critical of Facebook here? Because my issue with what he said is that, you know, everything's clearer with hindsight, isn't it? And I think it's fair to say that no big company would have considered focusing on Bitcoin in 2019. I don't think any big company should be focusing on Bitcoin right now, mm. unless you're a Bitcoin company. Mm. Like the Michael Saylor stuff, I truly don't get it. Like it's just, to me, it's just people getting, it's just him shouting around for clout. And sometimes it moves the market in a good way. Sometimes it moves the market in a bad way. But I truly, like, I don't want, random i don't want microsoft buying bitcoin necessarily i don't it i don't uh, why do what you're good at <laughs> like let companies that work in cryptocurrencies deal with bitcoin am i wrong mm-hmm. is this a polarizing no. opinion you know you're not wrong but the thing is part of the kind of like the astronomical valuations that have been made for bitcoin in the years to come hinge upon institutional adoption you know companies holding bitcoin in their reserves um asset managers adding bitcoin to their books so if we were to kind of follow kind of like your train of thought and those institutions weren't adding bitcoin to their balance sheets the bitcoin ecosystem and bitcoin's value might not go up as high as the likes of arc invest have suggested so I have two responses to that. One, yes, I didn't mean that investment companies and hedge funds, et cetera, shouldn't invest in Bitcoin. Mm. That to me makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that companies necessarily that are not 
investment companies, that are social media companies, that are marketing companies, that are et cetera, should necessarily need to hold something like Bitcoin in their in their reserve. That doesn't necessarily track to me. And then the last thing is, I don't care about Bitcoin's price. <laughs> That's not why I believe in Bitcoin. I believe in Bitcoin as, um, as a currency. And yeah, sometimes it's cool, you know, for example, when you have a lot of dollars and you travel to other countries and your dollar is worth more. But that, to me, that's not the main point of Bitcoin is I don't need it to go up in order mm. for me to think it's a really useful technology. So mm. yeah, if institutional people didn't hold as much Bitcoin in their reserves, then they um, the Bitcoin's price might not be as high. Okay. Do you think Meta will heed Jack Dorsey's advice and help make Bitcoin more accessible for people? Well, Meta is a mess right now. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I'm even seeing all of our TikTok. People on TikTok are making fun of Meta. And I don't follow financial TikTok. You know, I follow silly cat TikTok. So that's saying something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Meta has had a pretty terrible week. So the company's share price tumbled by 26% on Thursday, wiping more than $250 billion off its market cap. And it's the worst one-day crash suffered by a company in stock market history. Now, there's a few reasons behind this. Daily active users on Facebook have fallen for the first time ever. Younger consumers prefer TikTok. And all of this has the potential to affect advertising revenues. And that's where Meta makes most of its money. But Molly Jane, there was one stat that really jumped out at me in the financial results this week, because Meta's Reality Labs division, and that's the division responsible for building Zuckerberg's Metaverse vision, suffered a $10 billion loss in 2021. And an even bigger loss is expected this year in 2022. So here's my question to you, and I'm not sure you can answer it. Do we know what they're building? <laughs> That's not a daft question. I don't, is the honest answer. They've got nothing to show for it, have they? That's the thing. At the moment, they've got nothing to show for it. So are all these losses worth it? Yeah, that's my question. Because, you know, on the one hand, if they're in the background right now building an insane 3D world where people will go and interact and their lives will just be different and that they will be like the most amazing games and it's just costing a lot of money and it won't be ready for a few years. That's one thing. Mm. But uh, I, I feel like that's probably not what's going on. <laughs> no. I'm, I'm not really sure. I mean, it says that, okay, Meta's chief financial officer says that operating losses will meaningfully increase in 2022. Mm -hmm. um, so far, I don't see a way you can go on Facebook and do things in the yeah. metaverse to me. Mm. So yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't want them to rush their project, their product to market at, uh, at the expense of building something really cool with that wow factor. Mm. But at the same time, I don't know. You kind of have to show a little something, you know, all those metaverse games right now, they have trailers for what's coming you know, even if it's not for a year, so you get, you get the hype. Uh, Facebook is really doing a bad marketing job about about what this is. Yeah. And obviously, there are loads of different metaverses. So who's going to be the most popular, do you think? Will it be meta or will it be blockchain-based ones like Decentraland and the Sandbox, which, of course, have already launched and in theory 
have a head start. Yeah, this is something I brought up, I think, actually, towards the end of last year, where I was talking to someone that had built games for years. That was like 20, 30 years in, in, in gaming. And what he had told me is that the metaverses are just going to have very, very different uses. Mm. You know, people that are going to be in Facebook's metaverse, will there be, for example, an adult attainment entertainment section? No, there won't be. Yeah. Um, there will be those in, in blockchain-based metaverses if people want that. So it's going to be the sort of thing that people have to pick and choose. I think that occasionally decentralized applications have had a higher barrier to entry for the everyday person. And so people that are going to use those metaverses and these decentralized apps within them might be people that are using them because they believe in decentralization, mm -hmm. while the everyday person might not think about that. They might just think, oh, Facebook has metaverse, click and you're in. I'm also, are you imagining Facebook's metaverse to look like Toontown? Because that's all <laughs> that I'm imagining when I think about it. <laughs> I just can't imagine a virtual world like becoming a meaningful part of my daily life. Now, I wrote in the newsletter this week that, you know, the metaverse is now really important to Facebook because of these bad financial results. And just like MySpace died out when Facebook launched, you know, you could argue Facebook's now suffering a similar fate because older adults use it while the younguns are on TikTok. Do you think that the metaverse and virtual worlds will end up becoming a massive part of our lives like Mark Zuckerberg predicts? 100%. Mm. Do I think that will come through Facebook? I'm doubting it. Ah, okay. Okay, decent answer. Decent answer. Um, Thank you. <laughs> so now I want to talk about non-fungible tokens, Molly Jane, and there's been a lot of news. I wrote in the newsletter this week, there doesn't really seem to be a middle ground with NFTs. People either love them or they have this visceral hatred for them. Why is this? I'm trying to think of other things in the world that have this same sort of yeah. uh, fan fan and anti-fan base. The first thing I thought of was mayonnaise. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've talked about people Marmite either really before. love mayonnaise. Yeah, people love mayonnaise mm. or they hate it. Yeah. I guess Marmite. I'm trying to think of an actual uh, an actual real life thing that maybe is more relatable to NFTs than like a condiment. Um, Kanye West. <laughs> ah, well, that's the thing. So we talked about how A-list celebrities are showing off their bored apes on TV. And like you say, Kanye West took a different approach this week in a you know, pretty blunt post on Instagram. He wrote that my focus is on building real products in the real world, real food, real clothes, real shelter. Do not ask me to do a NFT. But he seemed to keep the door open to collaborating on NFTs in the future and told people to ask him later. Why do you think he's so against NFTs? I think he's so against NFTs because he really likes to be unique. Mm -hmm. I think we know that about him. Uh, just he really likes to stand out. And right now, NFTs are mainstream. Do you know what this reminds me of? This reminds me of a friend that once said, I'm never going to get a tattoo because that's how I'll stand out because everyone has tattoos. 
And that seems to me like what Kanye's doing, where he's like, I don't know. To me, what he's saying intelligently is, let me translate instead of instead of the curse word uh, Instagram caption is, the NFT market is currently oversaturated. And a man of my talents releasing an NFT right now would just get caught up in the wave. And I wouldn't be able to stand out. But in the future, if it ever becomes less hip and trendy, then I'll definitely release one. That's what I heard. I mean, your argument that it's oversaturated is completely right. But I mean, Kanye West is not going to get caught up in a wave, is he? Because if he was to even hint at an NFT collection, all of the focus would be on him. Are you sure about that? Yes. Because celebrities, remember when Pulp Fiction did their NFTs? And I thought Pulp Fiction was like a cult classic. I thought this would cause Quentin Tarantino NFTs. I thought this was the end. Like this is going to make NFTs the most popular thing ever. And the the Twitter for those NFTs had like 10,000 followers or something. Pulp Fiction and Kanye West are incomparable. They're just the apples Quentin and oranges. Quentin Tarantino and Kanye West. Yeah, I think you know Quentin Tarantino. Yes, was a very very famous director. But in terms of the people who were likeliest to buy NFTs, they're younger and they're more likely to be engaged with Kanye West and Quentin Tarantino. I don't know, but remember when Snoop Dogg was Kazomo de Medici? That also, I thought this is this is it. This is like the big thing, and then it kind of no one really cared in the end. Yeah, because Snoop Dogg isn't Cosimo de Medici. I, I'm still firm on that. <laughs> oh, yeah. It could be like his business manager or something. Mm, yeah. um, anyway, I, I don't know. I disagree with you. I think if Kanye did NFTs, it would be news for exactly one news cycle. Yeah, it, well, that's how news cycles work. It wouldn't be an enduring thing. But my point is... His NFT collection would sell like hotcakes. It would sell out immediately. It would get, you know, a high floor price. There'd be active demand for it. He would do well if he launched NFTs. But he won't. But he won't because he's not doing them (laughs) for now. Because he only does real food. (laughs) Real food. So I just want to compare and contrast two different attitudes towards NFTs. Now, first up, we've got Bob Iger, who until very recently was the CEO of Disney. Here's what he told Kara Swisher of the New York Times on the Sway podcast. I do think NFTs, I think, have, are, are real. I was a big trading card fan as a kid, baseball cards. I think the ability to collect things, even if they're digital, you know, we forget in our generation that things don't have to be physical. They can be digital and they have meaning to people. And as long as that meaning can be essentially substantiated in a, in a blockchain, I think you're going to see an explosion of things being created, traded, collected in NFTs. And Disney's actually on a hiring spree right now for NFT experts. And Bob Iger effectively said it's a no-brainer for the company, given how it's got this vast catalogue of TV shows, movies, and characters in its archive. And he's right, isn't he, Molly Jane? In this day and age... Digital things can have meanings to people. I mean, most of us spend all day on our phones. Oh, yeah. I think I've said this before on the podcast. Disney NFTs, Pokemon NFTs. Like, this to me is exactly the market. Mm-hmm. This is it. That's mm-hmm. where people are going to have have this sort of mm-hmm. uh, explosion of popularity. Imagine Disney NFTs. And if you got one, you could go to different parts of Disneyland. Like, I don't know. It just it makes a lot of sense. 
you know, let's go to the other end of the spectrum now. And there was a YouTuber called Dan Olson who released a two-hour video talking about the problems he's got with NFTs. And here's a clip of what he said. There is a tremendous disconnect between what NFT advocates say they do and what they actually do. But, and this is very important, both the claimed functionality and the actual functionality are both bad. It's all broken, none of it works well, so the idea of it becoming the norm is terrible. But the prospect of what the world would look like if all the mythologizing and overpromising came true also super sucks. The end goal of this infinite machine is the financialization of everything. Any benefits of digital uniqueness end up being a quirk, a necessary precondition of turning everything into a stock market. Now, we also talked about a culture of toxic positivity in the NFT community where constructive criticism is silenced. Molly Jane, I think Dan's got a powerful point here when it comes to toxic positivity. And many projects don't like hearing criticism, instantly dismiss it as FUD, fear, uncertainty, doubt. Should the crypto industry listen to skeptics more and specifically the NFT space? Well, I mean, I like the term toxic positivity, mm. but but all startups, I think, in any industry have that. It's, just, it's called marketing. It's called stubborn marketing. <laughs> like, I don't think this is a new thing that's, you know, unique to NFTs. There, it's more visible maybe right now. It's more public because Twitter is the medium of choice for most uh, NFT projects. But I don't know. I feel like also like skincare startups and health startups, vitamin startups also all have this like quote unquote toxic positivity. No, it's just like you're a marketer and you won't take no for an answer. That's mm. what I see it as. Mm. I mean, there was a story this week that really powerfully illustrated the tug of war that's going on between NFT lovers and haters. And the video game publisher Team17 had unveiled plans to launch a range of digital collectibles inspired by the popular Worms franchise. <laughs> Hello! Fire! But the company was met with fierce criticism from the very beginning. One indie developer said it would refuse to work with Team 17 again unless the NFTs were cancelled and said that we believe NFTs cannot be environmentally friendly or useful and really are overall a f***ing grift. Another said it didn't want to be involved with the crypto and blockchain gaming mess and said NFTs suck the fun out of video games by affecting the design, creating artificial digital scarcity and making fans spend more money for no reason. And Team 17 ended up performing a U-turn in just 24 hours and abandoning the Worms NFTs. Molly Jane, were these critics right? I don't know. There's always going to be critics of something. And mm. clearly Team 17, I think, did not know enough about what they were doing. Mm. And so at criticism, they backed down. Yeah, You know, if Team 17 actually thought NFTs are this cool thing, we want to expand into more Web.3 technology, we think that this would be good for the video games and our users and had a plan, mm. then a few games saying they didn't like it wouldn't have done anything. But this seemed maybe just like, I don't know, maybe it was just like, oh, you can make a lot of money doing this, quick money yeah. grab, oh, people don't like it, okay, we'll lose out on this, on this uh, projected revenue. That's how I see it. Yeah, and I think that's a good point because Ubisoft have also, another gaming company, have also gone into NFTs and they've had criticism, but they have stuck by their guns and they are continuing to proceed with their NFTs. But do you think 
what happened to Team 17 will stop other gaming companies from getting involved in NFTs because they'll be worried about inflicting some sort of PR disaster on themselves. I don't know. I I think the hatred of them, I still don't fully understand what what is at its core. Is it the idea of environmentalism? You know, is it that NFTs are ruining the environment? Is it the idea that people are being taken advantage of? You know, they don't want people putting their money into something that 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 could be fake. Is it the idea of people um, not valuing uh, digital items and people mm-hmm. wanting uh, real life items, physical items to always be more valuable than digital items? Is it a combination of the three? I don't know. I feel like we still don't quite understand like that, that because it's like a, it's like a fanaticism. Yeah. Against NFTs. Yeah. Um, and also I think you could argue that part of it, could be the obnoxiousness of some people who do own NFTs. I mean, there's another thing where there are a few people in the crypto space, and I won't call them out, but they have made a living of being naysayers. You know, mm. they've made a they've made a living of of explaining why Bitcoin, why blockchain are bad and or not real and are not useful and are dangerous basically yeah. and they, they've made an entire career out of that on yeah. the lecture circuit on books on becoming influenced anti-influencers in their own way and i don't i guess i don't think that you know these game companies are that are against nfts against team 17 are, tr- are trying to become like anti-nft influencers but i do think that people that make two hour long videos <laughs> about why nfts are bad um, are trying to be these sort of anti-taste makers in their own sense. Mm. Um, they, they see a niche to jump in. They're like, oh, I can be the first, the biggest person that does not like NFTs. Yeah. Um, I'm, just, I'm just a little skeptical about that. Not that I am, you know, not that I think that NFTs are the be-all, end-all of the world, but uh, I'm a little skeptical. Yeah, and I do think as well that this absolutist approach can, you know, stifle innovation a bit, like you, I don't think NFTs are the be all and end all, you know, neither of us own NFTs. But I do think that there can be certain use cases where this technology can be a really good thing. And it might not necessarily be the projects that are already out there. It might not be cartoon monkeys. It might not be in-game assets. But there will be ways that NFTs can really add value, not just to collectors, but to everyday consumers. And the criticism of NFTs could stop these use cases from emerging because people will be too scared to innovate in case they get a barrage of complaints. Yeah. What about NFTs for like land sales? For other, for medical records? Like, I don't know. It's just, I, to me, I think in people's mind, NFT equals picture of a monkey. Yeah. And that's not what it is to me and to you because we work in the industry. Mm -hmm. So So there we go. That's it. Yeah. Last but not least, Molly Jane, I just wanted to talk about an NFT platform um, that's been accused of stealing artists' music. And it was called Hit Piece. Describes itself as a marketplace that allows users to collect non-fungible tokens of their favorite songs. Okay, fine. But the project faced a backlash because several bands said their songs were on Hit Piece's website without their consent. Now, we asked Hit Piece for some questions and surprisingly didn't get a reply. I mean, stealing music, it's not really okay, is it? No, I feel like that's 
<laughs> there have been remember all those campaigns like in the movie theater when it was like would you steal a car? <laughs> yes. Like, <laughs> you wouldn't steal a handbag. <laughs> <Da-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-
from COVID continues to go well. And look forward to speaking to you next week. I can't believe we've been talking for this long and there have been no interruptions, no doorbell, no internet failure, no phone calls, no sitting tea. Um, (laughs) I will see all of you next week. (laughs) And because I'm anonymous, what's that thing where it's like on the internet, no one knows if you're a dog. It's like, what if this has been, what if I've been my turtle this whole time? Like, you don't know. <laughs> oh my gosh. Houdini is such a polished broadcaster. <laughs> I know. And <laughs> he also keeps a very polished uh, shell. Ah, very good. Very good. Very good. <laughs> thank you. Okay, thank you. <laughs> All right. See you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye, baby. Traitor. Oh, dear. Well, let's take a quick look at some other news now and crypto worth $320 million has been stolen in an audacious attack. About 120,000 wrapped Ether tokens were taken from Wormhole, a protocol that connects the Solana and Ethereum blockchains. Wormhole has been pleading with the hacker to give the crypto back in exchange for a $10 million bug bounty. Figures from the blockchain intelligence firm Elliptic suggest it's the fourth largest hack in crypto history. Such a huge loss would normally be fatal for a crypto project, but Wormhole has been bailed out by its parent company. Jump Trading replaced the lost funds in their entirety and can likely afford it thanks to how it executes crypto trades on behalf of Robinhood. A son drugged his father's tea so he could gain access to their crypto wallets. Liam Gershini laced his dad's drink with benzos, knocking him out, and then bypassed two-factor authentication to unlock the $400,000 account. He then transferred the Bitcoin inside to another wallet that he controlled, converting two-thirds of it to Ether. Officers found his father on the bedroom floor two days later, and he was treated in hospital for acute organ dysfunction and severe dehydration. Gershini later pleaded to first-degree assault and was sentenced to 125 days in jail and two months in a rehab facility. And Nintendo has revealed that it's interested in exploring what the metaverse and non-fungible tokens can add to its games, as long as it adds joy to the experience. Although the company believes digital collectibles and virtual worlds have potential, executives have hinted that they want to take their time to figure out where they can add value. NFTs are coming for criticism among some gamers amid accusations that they simply serve as a way of extracting more money from players. But enthusiasts argue that they enable players to truly own in-game assets, sell them for a profit, and potentially transport them between games. During a call with analysts, Nintendo also suggested that its attention is beginning to turn to the next-generation device that will replace its successful Switch console. Coin Market Recap India has announced that it plans to slap a 30% tax on profits from crypto trading. Although this will be one of the highest rates of capital gains worldwide, 
the new rules have been greeted as good news by India's crypto industry, which has faced years of uncertainty. Digital assets have become hugely popular in the country, with A-listers appearing in ads for local exchanges. Here's what Finance Minister Nirmala Sitaraman said in Parliament. There has been a phenomenal increase in transaction in virtual digital assets. The magnitude and frequency of these transactions have made it imperative to provide for a specific tax regime. Well, to discuss all of this, I'm joined by Nishal Shetty. He's the founder of Wazir X, India's largest crypto exchange. Hi, Nishal. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks a lot for inviting me. I'm glad to be on the show. A crypto ban in India has been possible for many years. Does the government's plan mean that this is no longer a threat? Look, I think uh, it's definitely a very positive sign for India because mm-hmm. uh, for the first time, there is something official uh, mm-hmm. when it comes to you know, uh, crypto in the, in the books of the law, where, mm-hmm. uh, be it, even if it is tax law, but we're talking about law. And, uh, you know, the fact that there is now also a definition, uh, an official definition for crypto, it's being treated as an asset um, and not a currency in India. I think that also is a very positive sign. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's this whole uh, confusion that people had for a long time, where in India especially, people always used to ask, uh, what happens if the government bans crypto uh, what happens to our uh, crypto holdings. Now, because the government has officially come up with clarity on taxation, there is a sense of confidence in people that because the government has taken this step, because if they wanted to ban it, they wouldn't go this le- the length of this uh, you know, uh, attempt to sort of publicly talk about it, tax it. So now people are more confident that the government is going in the direction of a regulation and not a ban in India. And, you know, there was a report, there have been all sorts of reports, haven't there? And there was one back in December that suggested the government was planning to ban holding and selling crypto. And this report said those who broke the law would end up facing a fine of up to 2.7 million US dollars and and an 18-month jail sentence, potentially. Why has the government changed its tone why now are they kind of looking towards taxation instead of a ban going back to where india started from which was there was a banking ban in india this was way back in 2018 Mm -hmm. uh, which was eventually overturned by the supreme court of india in 2020 so that was like a two and a half year legal battle that the crypto industry was fighting Uh, and in between that there was this uh, draft bill which was released in the public domain uh, which spoke about a uh, uh, ban on crypto. It, the draft bill spoke about jail term for holding crypto and uh, really huge uh, fines if you got into crypto. But uh, let's not forget, it was just a draft recommendation by a committee that the government had set up. It was never supposed to be a stand that the government has taken. Um, mm-hmm. So what was and that was just the outcome of government saying, let's put a com- committee or a team of uh, you know a few people in the... Uh, in the government and let's get them to tell us what to do and this committee had recommended a ban and you know jail term but i think what the government is doing and they're smart in that is they've been taking a cautious approach not to accept anything so despite Mm -hmm. that uh, draconian bill in 2019 the draft bill 
the government of india has never made statements in support of a ban or support of regulation reg, mm-hmm. regulation or anything they've been silent um, until last year where there was a bill that was in parliament but nobody knows the contents of that bill even today because it was never presented so it's been a lot of confusion i would say uh, rather than any conclusion and that's always a good thing especially for crypto regulation because crypto re- crypto is a technology that changes every every i would say every day but yeah. you know uh, if you <laughs> really realistically look at it it changes every quarter uh, there's yeah. something new and uh, i think the indian government is beginning to understand that which is why they're now uh, you know so, so going in the direction of a regulation by bringing this taxation clarity they've also been collecting a lot of data uh, from exchanges from the general public in fact last year india opened up uh, an option for uh, business entities to declare their crypto holdings mm-hmm. and in a way if you look at it this time with the taxes announcement they are opening a way for individuals to disclose their crypto earnings so technically after this india will have complete data of uh, what is the level of involvement of businesses in india into crypto and what's the level of involvement of individuals how many people are trading how much money are they making all of that is going to be clear to the government uh, by the application of this uh, announcement of uh, taxation this year and these new plans nishal mean profits from crypto transactions would be taxed at 30% is this too high and could it put off indian consumers from investing there's no one straight answer to this it's very mm-hmm. um, you know uh, it depends on uh, uh, who you are uh, so i'll give you an understanding a better clearer picture of this um in india we have three income slab uh, three slabs of income tax so it starts from uh, a four for example it starts from a certain level you don't have to pay any income tax if your mm-hmm. uh, you know income is below that bracket then there's 10% income tax 20% and then 30%. Mm-hmm. Now um, if you were into crypto let's say last year or the ongoing financial year uh, based on what income bracket you fall under you your profits would be taxed according to that. So mm-hmm. if you are in the lower income bracket you may not have to pay in any income tax even if you made a profit on your crypto holdings or crypto trading. However with the new application of the new uh, income tax what would happen going forward is irrespective of what tax bracket you would fall into you would have to pay 30% tax on any profits on your crypto earnings mm-hmm. so those who are in the higher bracket technically for them there is no change because they were already yeah. paying 30% but the ones in the lower income they see this as a new tax on them which is rightly right. so and for them that it's a big problem now while this, this is happening about the people inside crypto the most important thing that has uh, turned positively is for those who are not in crypto because most of the people who are not into crypto they've been afraid and they've been waiting for the government to show them some positive sign to take entry into this market and now with the taxation what they see that is sort of a legitimacy sort of a confidence booster for them to enter the crypto ecosystem now uh, mm-hmm. be it individuals be it corporates they are now much more confident that they can invest in crypto in india because the indian government has clarified that you can pay taxes on your crypto earnings 
so that's that's something of a, a big positive uh, i would say booster for the sector because very soon we will definitely see more uh, involvement from those sitting on the sidelines currently uh, due to the uncertainty that existed until now what does this mean for businesses like Wazirx, are you now expecting a big surge in demand now these rules are clearer? Absolutely. But there's also one part of the taxation that uh, is sort of something we are now going to go back to the government. Uh, mm. The part which is, it, it could be, it can go both ways, um, but it's bad for the day traders. Uh, right. And this 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 aspect is the one, there's a 1% TDS tax deduction at source that uh, you know buyers are supposed to do when they make a payment to the seller. Now the problem with this one percent uh, TDS is that if you think about it, if you're a high frequency trader or a day trader who's you know buying and selling hundred times a day, uh, you're going to have a substantial amount of your capital locked up in uh, um, you know, advanced taxes. Mm-hmm. Uh, while you can you can get that back if if you're not liable to pay that tax at the end of the year, but your capital still gets locked. Now, if you are a trader who's trading, let's say once a month or once a year, it's not a pinch to you. It's not a big problem because you know it's okay. You can get it adjusted on your taxes later. But for day traders, this is sort of a big barrier. So this is something that we are going to be you know pushing for some clarity and some relaxations. But otherwise, I think overall, this is definitely something where I see a lot more people entering the ecosystem. Because like I said, while in India, there are about 20 million people into crypto, there are 100 million people waiting to get into crypto. And for them, this is a confidence booster. Bitcoin's value has fallen by about 45% since November. And cryptocurrencies are known for being volatile. Is there a danger that Indian consumers could end up losing money that they can't afford? I think um, that that danger is always there, which is um, crypto is volatile and it's been mm-hmm. fluctuating. But you know, the best thing about that is that I don't think there's anyone left anymore who does not know that. Right. You know, if this, if this was 2017, I would be worried. If 2016, I would be even more worried. But today, I, I have to... Uh, tell you that people may not be trading in crypto but they the one thing they know is crypto is highly volatile and uh, prices can fall by 10 percent 50 percent in a day so that's an amazing education that has happened to everyone um mm-hmm. you know maybe we we saw it as bad uh, press or bad uh, you know promotion of crypto but i think i see it as an a great education for investors so now i i, I worry less about uh, people you know, getting into crypto and uh, burning their hands, except for unless you're very greedy, I think you do know what you're getting into. And that's a great thing. So I'm less worried about it today than I was, let's say, three years ago. Uh, That does not mean our work stops here. We definitely want to continue educating everyone that this is a high risk, high return category. And uh, I often keep saying that, you know, uh, don't invest more than, let's say, uh, a small percentage of your portfolio that you want to put in the high risk, high reward category. So, yeah, I, I think I don't I don't worry too much, though. And it was also announced, Nishal, that India plans to launch a digital rupee as early as this year. What do you think its impact will be on the economy? Oh, it, it, it's just going to be amazing. I don't think, um, you know, I 
I just fail to understand uh, how any, uh, that can be a uh, dampener for India or a bad thing, mm-hmm. not just for India, for any nation, because look at the technology. It's so amazing. And what happens, uh, you know, I know there's a, a section that does not believe in CBDCs, does not believe, you know, government should get into crypto. But let's not forget that if us, if India, for example, launches a CBDC, we overnight go from, let's say, 20, 30 million people in India knowing about crypto to maybe 100, 200, 300 million people in India getting to know about crypto because there is a wide distribution from that will be uh, that we will get from a CBDC. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that is an amazing point. It's, it's, it's a must-have because organically growing crypto will take a long, long time to reach, let's say, every part of India. But if the yes. government gets into it, this will accelerate it, you know, and maybe in three years, I think everyone would know how to operate a crypto wallet. How do you transform a, a, a token from one wallet to the other? And that is amazing education, which in turn will actually grow the public crypto markets. Mm-hmm. So I think I, I, I'm a, a big fan of the fact that India is attempting this and India should because, uh, you know, every other nation is doing it. And we are a tech nation out here. We can't be lying uh, uh, sitting on the sidelines while others build their CBDCs. I think I think it's kudos to the government to want to do this. And I tell you what, you'll be one of the first as well, because I mean, countries, especially countries like the US and the UK, are really kind of dragging their heels when it comes to digital currencies from central banks. Um, and my last ne- question, Nishal, uh, you've been campaigning for India to embrace crypto for years. Is there anything else? that you would like the government to be doing to support the crypto industry? Yeah, I think education, um, uh-huh. you know, and, and not just India. I think every government should realize that the the young uh, generation, which is now learning, if you, it is high time we introduce uh, the understanding of crypto and blockchain and decentralization to that generation, because that will give them an edge when they grow up, when they get into the whole online economy, because uh, it's just more and more certain that today crypto has 200 million people and it is going to go to the billion people. So -hmm. I think education would be something that uh, India should introduce, every nation should introduce early on. Just like, you know, uh, uh, I'll give you an example of myself. I think I was was 16 or 14 when I first learned the internet. And Mm -hmm. uh, about uh, five years after that, I I think uh, I started blogging. And a few years after that, I launched my startup. It changed my life. But uh, and I wish I had uh, gotten access to it uh, early in school. And, uh, you know, maybe when I was, uh, you know, 12 years old, maybe 13, and which is happening today. But we could do the same for crypto. We could educate Mm -hmm. people, our our students, our uh, youngsters sooner than later, you know. Uh, So, yeah, I think education would be that top priority, I would say, apart from regulation, obviously. And, uh, you know, I think that will progress the nation faster. And should this education come from the government or should it be coming from private companies such as yourselves? Who should be responsible for delivering this education? We are definitely doing it. And I think uh, the private sector is playing a really good role in that. But when the government pushes it in the curriculum, for example, I think, mm-hmm. again, like I said, the private sector might take uh, five, ten years. Uh, the government could do it in one to two years. And mm-hmm. I think that, that's amazing. That's going to be something. And you don't have to have deep, but I think decentralization has become an important aspect of the online world. And if you're going to prepare your youth, 
you should prepare them for this kind of uh, uh, future where they understand how decentralization works what is crypto i think these are important aspects that should be introduced into the curriculum early on Nishal, um, it's been great to talk to you and it's been fascinating, um, you know, watching India's journey and your involvement in it as well over the past few years. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Thanks a lot for inviting me here. And that is it for this week's Coin Market Recap. I'm Connor Sefton and thank you so much for listening. And just a reminder that this show does not offer financial advice. Please do follow our podcast and you can head to coinmarketcap.com forward slash Alexandria for easy to understand features on how crypto works. We're on Twitter as well at CMC Alexandria. And if you've got any feedback or questions about what we've discussed on the show, our email is podcast at coinmarketcap.com. Thank you for listening and we will see you next week. Bye bye.